Welcome to the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Joy Pullman, the executive editor over here at the Federalist. Joining me today is Tom Barella. He is a 20-year high school teacher uh, of business and economics. He is an author of several books, and he's an international media sensation. Tom, welcome to the program. Joy, thanks for having me. Um, so I, do you want to just before, we're going to focus on your latest book that I think is great. It's a, it's called Financial Lit. Um, and I mean, your name's pretty, thankfully, pretty easy to, to spell Tom Barella. People can just find that, sticking that into a search engine. But um, could you just give like people the sort of 30, 60 second soundbite about how you became an international media star, something completely unrelated to your professional work? Yes, uh, Joy, thank you for having me. Uh Back in back when I was a single guy, I was moving through my 30s, and and things weren't happening for me, and I just was wasn't meeting the, the the type of women that I wanted to meet. And thought to myself, you know, what if somebody who would be really great for me was just sitting in another city thinking the same thing? And so um, I was in the process. I was an entrepreneur. I started a business with some guys who I'd met at high school, and we moved our business from New York down to Atlanta. And I was in the process of moving back from Atlanta to New York. And then one day on the plane, it just hit me. It's like, you have to create a billboard and you have to have that billboard direct women to a website that talks all about you. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I hatched it. And then I said to myself, if you don't do this and you wind up single for five and 10 more years, you are going to be kicking yourself. And it, it literally became one of those things that I just had to kind of, um, I had to do it. And so um, I, conceived of the idea. I met with a, a website company. I talked to, I think, Lamar Outdoor Advertising. And we got this monster billboard just outside the Midtown Tunnel on the Long Island Expressway. Um, and the name of the website was c-tom.com. And, um, and so that caused a media stir. I think we had a little promotional campaign that said something like, local man seeks to create his own fireworks this July 4th. And so it, it, it went up July one. And so I made the media rounds. It was pretty cool. I had a full page in the uh, New York Daily News on page three, and it was like, "There's Tom." And I had my hand, ladies. I had my hand. I had my hand over my brow, you know, staring off into the into the uh, into you know into the sunset, looking for for the right woman. And and so I was there. I was uh, I was on the Today Show, and I actually was sitting in the middle of the ladies on the View before the View went you know went went off. Um, so I, I had. I had to suffer the um, slings of Joy Behar, uh, who, who <laughs> gave me a couple of nasty questions. She, she actually said to me, she says, so you're in your 40s, but you're looking for women in, in, their, in your 30s. You're like, what's that about? And, and so she have just let me have this thing called like the women's life cycle. <laughs> and I was literally 41. I mean, it wasn't uh-huh. so yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in any event, it was, it was awesome. Had, I literally had my Andy Warhol 15 minutes of fame. Um, but but interestingly enough, word spread all the way down to Brazil. And so the following, I had a couple of pen pals from Brazil. The following summer, I met a guy who is, tour, is in New York learning English and, 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 and on vacation. And we got the chance to hit it off. And so I said, you know what? I'll go down, visit you. I'll see if I can catch up with a couple of these pen pals. And sure enough, I wound up meeting, I wind up meeting the woman who became my wife. That's amazing. I mean, it's a really fun story. And the thing, I think there is actually a common thread between how you found your wife and the book that we're talking about today that I, um, I, I love 
I love its tone. I love like the audience. And it looks to me, you know, almost like you took, you know, your high school finance class, businesses classes, you know, and, and, you know, wrote it in a very conversational tone, but it's also really comprehensive. Like you call it, you know, in, in, you know, relatively short time, you really give everyone the basics of all they need to know. And it's uh, in, in a non dry fashion, which is really great because I talk to, um, you know, so, so many, not just young people, but like people everywhere who just can't, you know, it's, money seems a mystery to them. Um, so that's, that's uh, I, um, I think we'll, we'll talk about kind of some of those financial details and getting started in life and basics of finance in just a second. But what I was going to say is um, like the common thread I see between that and kind of your love story is the entrepreneurship uh, that, it, you know, it shows, you know, you have, you know, you creative ideas. I'm going to write a book. I, you know, I'm going to find my wife with a billboard and you just follow through on that. And a lot of your book really is encouraging young people and anyone reading it to think outside the box and really, you know, pursue, you know, things in a creative way. And um, I especially love how you kind of do that in the beginning talking. Um, so, so let's just start with the beginning talking about when people think about money, it's actually not just a measure of, you know, dollars and cents, hard numbers and basic math, but it really has, you know, things to do with people's work, value, what they value in life. Um, and it's kind of a, a tool that kind of connects to who we are as people. So would you talk, you know, maybe in a way like you would talk to your high school students, that frame that you use to connect money to people's values in their life and, and, and give them that frame for this isn't just numbers on a ledger, but this really is, you know, part of who you are as a person. Uh, thanks, Joy. Um, do you know what I in the, the book is really, I think, as you probably you know, recognize this is really highly personal. Um, mm -hmm. I've been I've been to the abyss. I've spent time. I've set up semi permanent uh, residency there have left it. Thank goodness. But that's given me a lot of perspective. And so one of the things I really impress upon the kids who think, well, they think wealth, they think money uh, from a middle class, upper middle class uh, school district. A lot of professionals, a lot of business mm -hmm. owners, a lot of people have a lot of money. And I think that, you know, when they take a class you know, about managing money, they, or, or at least personal finance, they think, of course, money and accumulation. The same with our investment class, and we can talk about the difference between those two classes. But the, the point is that, um, for me, is I, and they're young, right? So they think they're invincible, and they've got, they're kind of got, they've got this um, tunnel vision about accumulating wealth. And what I try to impart to them is this idea that, you know, money is just literally a single part of life that, you know, what if you achieve success and you're able to go buy this giant yacht and, and you're miserable, you have no friends. Mm -hmm. And and so where are you going to go in this thing and what are you going to do with it? Uh, so the other thing I'm taken aback by is just the unbelievable, I don't want to say irony, but sometimes cruelty of life in that sometimes we'll find a person, say like a Whitney Houston, who mm. is raised with a fat family, learn how to sing in church. I mean, sometime after her death, I, I heard something about her brother regretting having introduced her to drugs. Mm. And I think to myself, like, what in the world? Like, what kind of sibling would do this? Yeah. And obviously, the brother's still around because he was able to compartmentalize or manage it or not be addicted to it. And, and so to watch Whitney struggle publicly for decades, you know, before she succumbed to you know, to, to this habit it was just it was uh, it, it was just so so painful i think for a lot of us and and what i do with the students is i i play this super bowl um uh performance by her of the star spangled banner uh right i think when the gulf war started under mm -hmm. the george bush the elder and it was this mind-blowing performance and i just said to the kids 
how do you go from this right here, the top of the universe? She's so in command of what she's doing. She's smiling through the whole mm -hmm. performance. How do you go from that to drowning in a bathtub? Mm. And, and so this point about your emotional health, your mental, well, your mental, emotional well-being, your having family around you, friends around you. And of course, going back to maybe the second thing we think about when we think of fortune or good fortune uh, is our physical well-being, right? If you don't have your health, you don't have anything. So mm -hmm. you know, we, we look at Stephen Hawking, we look at Steve Jobs, you know, all these people that uh, just succumb to some kind of physical malady that took them, took them down. That is a really great point. And I think especially so when I, and, and you have, you know, more daily contact with high school age people than I do, but I have, you know, some, and I, what I kind of, I kind of feel like their perception is distorted by all the social media um, that they're consuming about the possible, the likelihood or their interest level in, you know, becoming a random star um, and as well as, you know, the how good it looks on TV can very, very often, like you mentioned with Whitney Houston, be completely opposite to what it's like behind the scenes. You know, so if I think about, you know, m you know my life or even a humbler life than I have, you know, we have a, a great middle class existence now, but I would never trade that with her, even though, you know, she's world, you know, world famous and I'll probably never be world famous. You know, she had glorious singing talent. I don't have that, you know, but you know, if you couple that with the personal sadness and the tragedy, you know, the drug abuse and, you know, the family sorts of things, I'd rather have, you know, my simple home with my basic kids and husband, you know, the four picket, the, you know, the little white picket fence sort of thing. And that, I think, is just perspective that mature adults can give to kids, you know, and, and need to give to kids um, and that they need to hear. Um, and, and so when you are in the classroom with these, you know, with young people every day talking about money and finance, First of all, what are the top kind of um, things that you hear from them, both, you know, positive and negative, both, you know, true and totally false and destructive um, that is in their heads about money management, just basic personal handling of whatever income they have? Well, one of the things that um, I think the kids uh, are uh, have a big misconception about is this idea of like rates of return. Like one time a young lady said to me, Mr. Brella, you know, I, I, I'm going to get a summer job or I'd like to have like six thousand or eight thousand dollars by the end of summer or something like that. And and so I said, OK, well, let's talk about how many weeks there are in the summer and how many hours mm -hmm. you might work and a rate of pay and all that. And. And, and, and quickly she realized, you know, it's going to be impossible to kind of accumulate the wealth that she uh, wanted to. Um, and so that was something that I think like, a lot of kids have a misperception about. Um, but another thing is also like rates of return, for example. Um, so if I was to tell you that you can make 1% uh, in the bank and, mm -hmm. and I was to also tell you that or tell them that, hey, they have a million dollars they can put in the bank. I mean, when they find out that it's going to earn a whopping $10,000, Mm -hmm. or 800, 800 bucks a month. They're just like, what? So like 1% is just like a staggeringly uh, deficient, and it is a rate of return uh, for somebody. So I think the rate at which somebody can accumulate or grow their wealth is something that really needs study. Um, and, and so we also take, uh, we actually build a nice spreadsheet where we look at a, a sum of money invested and or added to every year. And then we create this uh, table where across the columns we have percentage rates of return and then down the rows we have years invested mm -hmm. and so we could see listen if you can earn seven percent a year or eight versus six you know that two percent makes could be half a million Ooh. dollar difference uh -huh. exactly so, so i think that's, the that's same with interest rates on your debt so if you have a home, home mortgage as you well know 
Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I think that's maybe the biggest uh, thing about money is they don't really understand the dynamics of it. And I mean, maybe they just see, again, we see the outliers, right? We see the famous um, YouTubers and, and social media people. We see famous investors and we see all these wealthy people. And so the kid's like, how do I get from where I am to there? Yeah. And it's like, well, not quickly, not that quickly <laughs> yeah. anyway. Uh, so I, 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 I enjoy at least trying to kind of bring them back down to earth mm -hmm. and to say, this is what, you know, we're looking at. You want to put your money here, you're going to earn that here. You're going to earn that. And, and then also helps me explain this idea of, um, the, the, the less of the risk you want to take, the less of the reward you're going to get. And mm -hmm. so if you, uh, so the, the point is, if you want to be more aggressive and you do like to have the opportunity to earn 12, 10 to, or 12% per year, you're probably gonna have to be invested in stocks and those, uh, you know, come with risk. And so it really helps uh, solidify this idea of the direct relationship between risk and, um, and excuse me, the rate of return you you like the opportunity to achieve and the risk you must take. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's kind of a metaphor for life, right? <laughs> Not yeah. just with money, but, you know, I mean, thinking about even, you know, again, just putting your name on a billboard, that's a risk most people wouldn't be willing to take. But, you know, in your case, it paid off pretty well. <laughs> I, I agree with you. It's, <laughs> you say yeah, nice things about your wife in your book. So oh, <laughs> thank, you. thank you, Joy. Do you know uh, something else, too, about me, I, which I realize is, it almost doesn't matter the outcome. I, I really feel energized and alive when I'm creating. Mm -hmm. And and so like that idea of wait a minute, the billboard. And then we did this like really fun thing with the website where we had this stuff like dress Tom where you yes, could that was my favorite. <laughs> yeah, you could you could slide out different tops and different mm -hmm. bottoms and different shoes. And the thing was just nuts. I mean, it was so much fun to do. And there was also a whack-a-mole game. Um, and it was called Bop Tom. And so my head would come popping out of different <laughs> spots. And, and so however many points you got within 30 seconds, that you see you played the game and got to know me that way. Uh, so we just had a blast. And so I think for me, I, I just feel like I need to be creative. And one of the things also that kind of scared me about, um, about the topic uh, of personal finance and, and the whole book was, I've been teaching this subject for a long time and my courses are, are relatively popular. So for example, there are times where my investment course, I might teach it four or five times in um, four or five groups of kids. And that, that means, means they meet, we meet every other day, it's half of credit. So mm -hmm. for example, if I have five sections, I'll teach uh, three on one day and then two on the next, then the next day I'll see the, the group of three again, uh, or the three different groups. So if I'm teaching this course for, five sections for 10 years, that's the same lesson I've taught 50 times. Mm -hmm. And so I'm saying to myself with regard to the book, I really want to put everything that I know to be important about personal finance in one place. But, and, and I said to myself, and I darn well better do it while I still have a passion for it yeah. um, and not run out of gas. So in any event, it, it's, uh, I'm, I'm just glad that it, it came together, you know, the way it did. And I also, th I have this perception that, you know, money is often a very intimidating topic for people. I think sometimes, and, and which is a little confusing to me, but I, you know, grew up in a home, you know, where I don't know, I like, I, I just, my parents taught kind of the basics of, you know, investing, debt, you know, risk reward, it, you know, nothing super complicated. We weren't getting into like hedge fund kinds of things, you know, and so it was just kind of a part of life for me. But growing up, I learned that's actually really extremely unusual, you know, and so, you know, the statistics, it's, it's like the majority of Americans 
couldn't cover or, or something almost half of a really, really large number couldn't cover a thousand dollar emergency if it happened to them. I mean, that's almost anything that happens with your car that's serious. You know, um, it's certainly more, you know, I think any th random thing that happens with your health is going to be more than that, you know. And so, you know, it's basically um, people I, I think people often you know hide from money because they feel like it's this great big mystery. And that's one of the th great things about your book is it just, you know, very you know basic walks people through, but not but not just in an interesting and conversational way. Also, I think that helps people kind of get along. So if you, if you, you know, if you're kind of, if you have someone who says like, you know, I, I want to get a handle on my money, especially maybe a young professional starting life out. Um, where would you say are good places to start for people who feel like it's a big mystery and scary instead of just running and hiding from it and probably making a mess out of things or, or not, taking um, advantage of, you know, you know, better management um, that you could have early on, where would you say are good places for people to start with their finances? Um, yeah, with their finances, with kind of getting them in order, feeling like they're on top of them, they have a plan and, and it's a good plan. Uh, Joy, you, 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 I think you've just hit on the whole thing. I mean, for example, you could go online, right, and search how to make a budget. And then mm -hmm. you find a million different platforms and a million ideas and a million approaches. But I do think a, a basic budget would be something that would be really great for people to anchor themselves in reality. So that, it, it, I mean, it, it, the other thing about it is it should not be difficult. Even if you're not, uh, even if it's a little leaky and even if you're not accounting for everything, just this idea that you're starting to record and assess what you're earning, what's coming in and what's going out. Um, it, it has to lead you to become more sophisticated and maybe, you know, adult up, so to speak, and say, listen, I, I've got to start improving my financial condition and realize that you can make some sacrifices in certain areas in order to, you know, uh, have some saving or have some dollars left over to save. Uh, but I think that's probably the, the most important uh, places. Just make a budget and just find the state of things. Where are you? Um, one of the questions mm -hmm. I ask after we do our budget project in, in our classes, I said the vast majority of adults know they should budget, but they don't. Yeah, yeah you know, they like don't. Give, <laughs> give, me, give me three reasons why. Mm -hmm. And and some of them are sharp enough, which I, I, I just, it, it really is like the old bingo in my head when they say they may suspect that they're not really going anywhere uh, positive, but if they make a budget, then it's going to be confirmed. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Like this. Yeah. Oh, no, more no. comfortable to be in the dark at least. Hundred <laughs> percent. Right. Because then you look for the fact that you spent five thousand dollars this year on lattes <laughs> or whatever. Right. Because yeah, you have the plausible deniability. Well, I haven't yeah. really looked at it in detail, but one day I'm going yeah. to. So yeah. I think that's a and that's the I think that's the point of it is is to see what are we looking at here and mm -hmm. I think making a budget does uh, allow you to start there and get serious about your money. Um, I think the other thing about money that is so curious is that um, it doesn't, uh, you know, the whole, it, it just doesn't naturally lend itself to curiosity, at least in, in my book. I mean, it's not like some child, you know, grabs on their parents' pant and says, mommy, explain to me the difference between APR and APY. I mean, <laughs> it just, it, that's not happening. So what is interesting though, I have a 21 year old daughter, my wife's, uh, my wife's second daughter, my, my stepdaughter, and so she has a copy of the book and she's reading it and she'll say to me, uh, but, but what's happening is we're working backwards from her need to interact with finance and money mm -hmm. 
to backfill the knowledge. So she'll say, look, I'm 18. I want to get a credit card. They offered me a secured card. What does that mean? So we, you know, she put $500 with the, with the credit union. They gave her a $500 credit card. And then it was great because a year later, under the terms of the, the secured card, they said they'll release the $500 of hers. Mm-hmm. So now they'll be, obviously, it'll be like legitimately a, a credit risk for them. And so they didn't release the money. And she's like, this is, so she got all upset. And I just found it great because she was engaged. Like, hey, you know, you, what's going what's on here? Like, mm-hmm. Right, get my money back. So it was just, it's just great. So, so that's, to me, is what's happening is they encounter, well, at least in my, in my you know, world, the kids want to know something when they have a need to encounter it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it's Sometimes also. Sometimes that can be too late. Hopefully yeah, not. 100%. Horribly late, you know, but it is, you know, in my experience, better to plan ahead rather than to get yourself into a hole and have to dig out. You can dig out. You know, lots of people have done it, you know, but again, it's always better to be proactive, you know. So, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, think about, you know, something that you could address or something that you don't know about and maybe try, you know, make a plan, a date with yourself on your calendar for when you're going to sit down and start looking into how you're going to solve this, you know, financial concern or question of yours. Oh, this was something. Okay. So you've been, um, uh, you know, a business finance teacher for 20 years. How have you seen kind of the financial world or um, maybe people's habits or, you know, just the, this, uh, this whole domain change over your, over that time of 20 years, paying close attention to these things and teaching young people about and interacting with them? Well, one of the things that has been interesting is the, um, the whole idea that every now and then we get one of these blow ups. Like if it wasn't the savings and loan crisis, Mm-hmm. It was a tech bubble. It wasn't the tech bubble. It was the, the, the great the housing bubble and, and that whole thing blowing up. So, quote, great recession that, that resulted after it. And um, so I think that excesses are, are something that in, in, you're asking about, like, how has it changed? And, and, and sadly, uh, in my view, unfortunately, it's kind of like just it seems like a broken record mm-hmm. um, that these excesses come and, and then they get the bubbles get popped and, and there's a lot of pain. So mm-hmm. that's something even now, for example, even in the last few weeks, uh, the tech, the NASDAQ and, and tech stocks are getting absolutely wrecked as you know people reckon with uh rise you know what's going to be rising interest rates and whatnot so Mm -hmm. um i do think that that the cycles are important you know one thing that um if i can just go a little bit further afield one thing that um gets me uh that that has been seconded by a lot of um uh, uh my colleagues is that the kids back a generation ago or two um the distance between them and the teachers is so much uh closer that they feel more comfortable. I mean, I don't know when, you know, what, what, what your impressions were when you were in high school, but when I was in high school, the teacher was like over there and then yeah. I was here and, and, and there wasn't personal conversation and there wasn't, um, Hey, how was your, how was your weekend? And, 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 and yet these kids, not in a disrespectful way. And, and I think it's, it's a good thing. I mean, it, what it means to me as a, as a, as an educator is that they feel comfortable enough to approach me and they're not intimidated by me and all that. And they're never disrespectful. And uh, and so I just think that the, the level of say confidence almost and sophistication of the kids is so is so high um, hmm. that they're not intimidated and they, ju- they they can, you know, they just have a, they feel more comfortable with adults than, than a generation or two ago. 
You know, and sometimes, I mean, I actually think one of my kind of relationship or, you know, being a manager of people rules is like silence is generally a bad thing. Like you want to look under that hood. (laughs) I mean, everything could be going swimmingly, but it's always good to just check. You know, if you haven't heard from someone in a while, you haven't checked in on, you know, whatever account, you know, you want to, yeah, go over and inspect it, you know, if it's been a bit. So I, 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 you know, I wonder if that, you know, so if young people are staying, keeping their distance from a teacher who could mentor, assist them, you know, really help them come farther in their learning and their personal development. That to me, you know, that to me sounds, you know, like a worse situation than a young person, you know, saying, okay, tell me about this specific thing, you know, following you around, asking you questions and getting, getting more information. So it's nice to hear something positive about young people. I feel like I'm actually not really that young anymore. (laughs) I'm getting middle aged, but I feel like young people get dumped on a lot, you know, and I probably young people feel that way too. Um, And there's anyway, it's nice to hear, yeah, something that sounds good and positive. Well, well, let me let me mention something else too, which I think is um, I would just like to contribute here. Um, public education isn't broken in America everywhere. I mean, maybe in a lot of places, certainly in a lot of places, it is. But you know, I, I teach in in depending on the measurement, somewhere in the top hundred public high schools, and we've got a high achieving group of kids. Um, they are passionate about learning. Uh, I mean, thankfully, we have elective courses. So the kids that are in our courses are there because they chose to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, But these kids are they're smart. They're motivated. um, They're engaging. They're really brilliant. And and if you just meet them, you know, find a way to. And you mentioned earlier about how you found the book interesting and not monotonous is one of the things I've spent a career thinking about is how uh, my way in. Uh, we're mm-hmm. talking about AP, APR versus APY. I mean, how do I introduce that topic? How do, how can I come in with something and then jump over before they know it to be talking about, say, a topic that might seem dry? So um, as long as you can engage the kids, they want to learn. So uh, I I think the kids are getting a, a fabulous education in my district. The, the parents are extremely supportive. Um, and so it's like a virtuous cycle. I mean, things work. Mm-hmm. If we call home, the parents support us. Um, the kids respond if there's anything that they need to do in terms of getting back on track and, um, you know, and it works. So at least from my perspective, public education, um, you know, when it's done properly with local control and parental support, um, can be very beneficial. Uh, another thing I, I, which I just, uh, if I can just add here, I teach a course called, uh, corporate finance as well. This is like an yeah. advanced course that's taught in conjunction with the local university, Long Island university. Well, there we talk about discounted cash flows and basically the present value uh, of an investment is what you want to look for uh, when you're when you're evaluating this investment and we have different discount rates and all that stuff. And when when people hear and and, um, so when people hear about these ideas that are in finance and they're like, you're teaching these kids this stuff in high school. And it's Mm -hmm. like, yes, we are. Um, It's it's mind blowing because I've had kids go to Ivy League colleges and they might write me in. In, in sophomore, junior year, they'll message me and say, Barella, I am still using some of the concepts and techniques and things I learned in college finance. And when I sat down in school that first day next to a kid who knew nothing about time value of money, I was light years ahead of them. So again, there's a lot to be learned um, in school you know, if the child is engaged and the schools run well. If he has a great teacher, who cares about, you know, I, I mean, for me, uh, my husband's a teacher, you know, so, you know, I, I think if you have an awesome teacher, there's almost nothing better in the world. Um, <laughs> that's actually um, why we chose to start a school for our kids instead of homeschooling, because if you can access an amazing teacher, nothing will accelerate your child really more. 
Um, and sometimes a parent can do a you know very good job. But some you know you can teach finance way better than I can. Why would you know if I could have you do it? Why wouldn't I have you do that right? Um, so and then you know cross multiply that by all the other subjects. So I mean teachers are really king in education, and they're really. I mean, I'm going to get, you know, I don't want to get off on a ramp, but, you know, teachers are, to me, the number one most important thing about getting an education. Almost nobody really focuses on them. They focus on credentialing, but not mm. excellence, not personality, not the things that, you know, really motivate children. Um, I mean, feel free to kind of riff on that if you like, but I have some, I, I was also thinking um, earlier, you know, we, we kind of talked around this as well in this discussion, but how psychological money is, you know, uh, um, and, and when you were talking about, you know, how, um, you know, positively um, the young people are responding to you, I was thinking, you know, right, right now we know just, you know, from basic polling that, you know, while things might be looking positive in your classroom, in your community, you know, you have a, a great dynamic environment. A lot of people are really concerned and anxious about the economy right now. So when you think about kind of the whole economy, um, you know, what's kind of your outlook on the way that things are and how people should think about that? You know, is there is there a reason for the dread, the concern, you know, the kind of, um, you know, people kind of uh, kind of holding their breaths, you know, waiting for something next, you know, the other shoe to drop or whatever. What's your perspective on that macro issue? Well, uh, this is very interesting because uh, I think the market has basically risen since the, the Great Recession was over. Obviously, mm -hmm. we took a, a brief pause there with COVID, but things really snapped back quickly. Um, this is a, this is a troubling one. Um, one of the things I really enjoy with the kids and I also enjoy about their personality is uh, just if I can, I'll, I'll come come in here and I'm going to quote circle back unquote. Um, one of our lessons that we do is, uh, of course, one of the topics in investing, this, uh, investing, our investing course is bonds. And so we get around to the idea, we talk about corporate bonds and we talk about government bonds and then I look at the national debt and whatnot. Mm -hmm. You just see this. Debt just, yeah. So it's just going <laughs> up. And you don't want to check up on, right? A hundred percent. That's right. And, and so what I offer to the kids is I say, guys, uh, whoever can take this whiteboard marker and write down the national debt on the board gets an A plus for the rest of the year. And of course, it's turning over so fast. Yeah, that is, it's not possible. But, you know, the, the point being, uh, it, 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 your question um, really depends on like whether I'm, I'm just going to put something aside, like do debts really matter? Do deficits really matter? Um, will this whole kind of money printing regime eventually uh, cost us? I mean, it's costing us with regard to inflation for sure. So like putting, putting that, that dire kind of trajectory on which the national debt is, it always seems to me now inflation, I think, is making a mess for sure. Um, but one one of the um, the recurring themes, I think, over the last couple of decades is like whenever it's total despair, there'll be some headline that says the American consumer finds a way. And, yeah. and somehow, you know, what I'm saying we, we managed to spend, preserve the lifestyle and just keep it going. And I don't know how, um, but, <laughs> but have you, you, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? It's just one of those things where, it, you know, American consumers stepped up again and filled the gap and, you know, GDP is fine and all that. But sure, eventually, um, you know, these these price increases, the supply dislocations, you know, an elevated all time high market, um, you know, some remnants of COVID and, and what that might, um, uh, you know, bring with us or bring to us. And then, of course, uh, the, the saber rattling going on with regard to Ukraine, Taiwan, I mean, 
It, yeah, it, this is something else that they talk about too, markets climb a quote wall of worry. I mean, if you were to really look at all the risks out there, you would just be sitting on your money. You'd be, you'd be, you'd be hugging it in a duffel bag in the fetal position in a corner of, of your basement because there's always this, I guess you call it the nightmare scenario. So I, I think one of the things though that the market always has going for it is that what you can earn on alternative investments is just so poor. Um, even if they raise interest rates by a percent over the course of this year, maybe they'll have to go dramatically higher. Who knows if inflation won't heal. Uh, but if I could earn instead of say 2% in some government bond, I can earn three. I mean, I'm sorry, that's not getting me excited, especially if inflation goes down from mm-hmm. seven to th- to seven back to three, they'll be congratulating themselves but you're still not making any money. So I, th- that is one of the things that I come back to a lot is that um, that the other alternative investments or, or the idea is just interest rates at historical lows, the whole fixed income, uh, uh, putting your investments in fixed income bonds uh, is not so attractive. And so also real estate, right, is extremely expensive now. Um, and so, you know, anyway, the markets seem to be a place where I just feel like uh, people will eventually return to, and and certainly the lower they go, the better and, and more attractive they look, right? The lower they are, so um, it's almost like a self-regulating thing. They they plunge, and then people go, "Hey, look at that! The market plunge!" And there we go. We start piling in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't I don't know how it's all going to play out, but I do know that it is definitely fixing uh, to be an, an an incredibly challenging year, and, uh, and not for the faint of heart. And could you actually, I mean, I think it would also be interesting and helpful for listeners. Could you just talk about, do, do up our financial literacy. Um, so the Fed has forecasted that it's going to raise interest rates. What does that mean for the everyday life of a normal person? Now, what, what, what should we expect would be, are the usual kind of consequences, you know, positives and negatives of that kind of move for the general economy, as well as, you know, our personal wallets or retirement investments or whatever people, you know, most normal people are doing. Well, this is the type of thing where it's good news for people that want to be lenders that would like to say buy bonds um, and, and, and have their money be used by others. Um, and it's bad news for people that are in debt and that are mm-hmm. have borrowed. So, um, if you want, if you have debt or, or that debt is subject to it, say adjustment, um, like a commercial, like real estate yeah, loan right. or something like that. Right. So the cost of, of having debt is going to go up. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you're a corporation and, and you're looking to roll over debt and now the next time you do, it's going to be at a higher uh, interest rate than, than, than the prior debt. Um, that's going to squeeze. So it's like almost, it's, it's going to squeeze debtors in a lot of different regards and it's going to make. Uh, borrowing, of course, money for to buy a home, to buy a car, or any kind of big ticket item, more expensive, and that may be also why you know real estate prices may come down. Is a person may say, "Listen, at at, at a three and a half percent rate, I could afford this payment, and mm-hmm. or or to buy to pay this much money for a house because I could afford this payment." Now, if you're going to raise my rate to four, yeah. I can basically, if I have that same payment, then the house price got to come down ten percent. Mm-hmm. And, and so, if a lot of people make that type of calculation. You know, real estate, at least at least that it seems that that's going to be a giant headwind for for real estate, higher rates going higher. And and the Fed is is they're basically the other thing that people have said is that quote behind the curve. 
and inflation has been raging for months. Mm -hmm. So the fact that the Fed has not yet started and it usually likes to raise rates a quarter of a percent at a time, just kind of ease mm -hmm. its way into it. A lot of people would say, well, what, you know, essentially right. now what? So, yeah. so the, the Fed is basically telegraphing four interest rate hikes, four to five, and the market is, uh, especially tech stocks are melting down and imploding because they're taking the quote punch bowl away. They're taking away all this stimulus mm -hmm. stimuli. So then the, so now they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. If they continue with what they're doing, people will throw this temper tantrum, dump stocks. Everybody's going to feel poor because their 401k became a 201k. Um, <laughs> but if they say, oh, okay, 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 we'll go slower on the interest rate hikes, then inflation is going to continue to rage. So it's like, mm -hmm. which, pain, which mm -hmm. pain do you want? And I think Americans have shown we'd like no pain, please. That's pretty American. No pain, please. <laughs> I mean, so but what that really does, though, is then you don't get to pick your pain. The pain picks you. <laughs> yeah, it's right. Pick your poison. And that's yeah. where they're at. And and so, for example, they had a meeting today and, and the Federal Reserve chairman said, OK, I'm not going to raise rates. But soon, like because mm -hmm. the market, again, has been absolutely getting hammered, especially tech, of course. But because he so he's trying to you know he's trying to nuance it but it's just something that may may not be able to be nuanced right right do you i so i mean so this i don't know anything about finance so this could be a crazy question but do you think they're just saying they're gonna increase rates but maybe not actually going to <laughs> i i definitely think they're going to i think i mean inflation okay. you know one of the things too joy that's in the in the book too is uh, i do this chapter on budgeting and then later on i talk about inflation and then I go back to the budget and I say, all right, so let's take the, the monthly spending of this family. Let's take out the things that are fixed, like the mortgage payment that's not subject to inflation, a couple of things. And then I say, okay, so take this monthly spending of a few thousand bucks. I said, make it 3% higher next year. That's like $150. So go back to the budget and go find a place where you can pull $150 out. $150 a month, yeah. Right, so then next time it's 3% more than it was before. So it's okay. Now it's 160. So, mm -hmm. all right, now, now what are you can do with that, you know, like this type of thing. And, and so the idea of, of inflation is just a, an unbelievable perpetual squeeze and 7% is just a devastating number. I, that is just breathtaking. Yeah. Um, so a single year of 7% inflation uh, is just going to wreak havoc everywhere. So I think that's why when you say, are mm -hmm. they not, are they just going to jawbone it, talk it, um, I, I talk about it, but not actually do it. Um, I don't think so. I think they really do need to raise rates and they need to get inflation under control. And I think a lot of people are really thinking about that inflation issue. So I guess, you know, maybe the last question before we do kind of a, a little tie up, you know, what, you know, what is a, well, actually, this is a question I've always wanted to ask someone, but it's, you know, what, what is the proper policy response to inflation? Is it only cutting rates? Probably, I mean, also cutting government spending, right? Is there, you know, what, what, you know, what inflation, like you are noting is, is a killer for, you know, normal average people. What is the right policy? What's the most effective policy solution for that? Well, I think one of the, the things, and, and I'm certainly not an economist and I don't want to um, hold myself out as that, but I do know the Fed has been injecting liquidity, keeping mm -hmm. rates super low. I mean, this was what Alan Greenspan was accused of doing after the, uh, in the early 2000s that caused the housing bubble. So um, I, I think that there are, <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of, right. There are a lot of things the Fed is doing to stimulate the economy and probably overstimulating it. 
Uh, and, and so that may be a problem of its own making. And I think the other thing is that, um, you know, what are we doing in terms of supply dislocations? I mean, we're, we're sitting here putting rules like in Canada now, in California, like for example, that truckers need to be vaccinated in order to move goods. It's like, are you trying to get rid of these Make problems or are you trying to exacerbate them? And, and to the extent that we could be doing things to help um, ease the supply issues, uh, we ought to be doing that forthwith because God knows if more supply will help bring down prices, we need to be doing that. Mm -hmm. And then, and then related to that is, you know, just for a normal personal consumer, what is a good strategy in an inflationary economy? You know, you mentioned cutting back, you know, the belt, people are doing that, you know, according to polling, um, you know, yeah. What are other just basic things? People who like us who don't control money printing, you know, and vaccine mandates, what can, you know, we do to, you know, handle it well with our head on our shoulders and get through it. Well, what what is kind of um, interesting is I've talked about this and thought about this a lot, but and then read up, read up on it as well that the whole idea would be to own something that's that's basically priced in dollars. So if dollars are going to be devalued, mm -hmm. essentially the value of those things they'll command more dollars. Mm -hmm. So that's tough. But if you own some home or something versus rent. And, and you have no asset that you know that, mm -hmm. that that could rise in value, but you're just a renter. Um, that's trouble. Uh, that's that's big trouble for for people. So the idea is you just want to own assets that are essentially, of course, not depreciating assets like vehicles or something like this. But mm -hmm. if you can own some kind of asset that has a chance to appreciate that's based in dollars. Um, and and another thing is a lot of people say, well, you know, stocks are based in dollars. That's another mm -hmm. thing. Um, and so they could potentially inflate their way up. Um, the other thing about owning stocks is that corporations can usually pass along cost increases to their customers. I don't think anybody blames them for doing that. And so if they can preserve their profit growth because of that dynamic, as opposed to say bonds where you're earning a fixed rate of return, regardless mm -hmm. of, um, you know, regardless of what, what, what inflation is doing, uh, that's another reason why a lot of people recommend uh, owning shares of stock or being in the market. Great. So, okay. I mean, I feel like our personal finances are really well under control. My husband manages all that, but I also, you know, it's kind of on autopilot at this point. I just ask him, you know, do I have any more money in this budget? <laughs> we do have a budget and we've had one actually since the beginning of our marriage. So anyway, and then we Incredible. discuss it periodically, update it. And that's worked extremely well for us because it, makes me not scared about what might be under the hood. You know, I don't, I don't like who comes to me and says, you know, you're spending too much money on kids stuff, which is like one of my perennial areas of overspending. But you know, I need to know that, right? You know, I you need to keep within that so we achieve our goals. So, um, well, that was my kind of caveat. You know, I don't know what to do in an inflationary, you know, economy or whatever, um, but I'm interested in hearing about it. So thank you for that. Sure. So, um, I, I, I mean, I know that our, you know, I've actually gotten these um, from our listeners. I know that our listeners and our readers at The Federalist have lots of personal finance questions. They want to, you know, um, be on, on a reasonable track. And you actually rec um, recommend in the back of your book, um, our, uh, my husband and I's kind of like little Bible that set us on the right track um, in the beginning of our marriage for really feeling, you know, secure and like we're being prudent with what we have. I'm just looking for that. I, I forget the name of it, but it's the Dave Ramsey, I think, maybe yeah. totally makeover. That's a great starter. I also will recommend your book to folks who want a basic overview of 
personal and economic, you know, economic uh, uh, issues. It's really readable. Um, it's very, it's both readable and information packed. So it's a really nice blend of that. It's called one word financial lit. Um, so the word financial and then IT right after it, or they can search your name, Tom Barella. Uh, Thomas is on the cover here. Tom, thank you for joining us at The Federalist. I know our, our listeners will find this uh, hopefully interesting and useful, just like your book. Joy, thanks so much. Mm-hmm.